What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hey, Blenders, it's Sean, and I'm here to introduce a bonus episode of Real Blend, where we have Kevin Smith coming back onto the show to discuss Clerks 3 and essentially his entire career up to this point. Um, We don't have a full show this week because Gabe and I are both heading up to the Toronto International Film Festival and recording was just going to be a bear. So we're going to be back on the show uh, next week with a rundown of all of the fun stuff that we got to see while we were up there, uh, interviews that we were able to conduct. And we have a couple of uh, surprise guests who will be joining us uh, who had movies at TIFF. But to make sure that we didn't leave you guys with a complete empty void for your Friday, uh, we had Kevin Smith come back on the show as Clerks 3 is heading to theaters. Um, Kevin's been talking about coming to uh, rejoin the show for a long time now. As you guys know, he has a great relationship with our own Kevin McCarthy. Uh, and we put on social media a little bit earlier uh, that this summer we went out to California uh, because Kevin was nice enough to invite us over to his house to see an early screening of Clerks 3. Uh, and after that, we just sort of sat around and uh, you picked over the film and, you know, talked about how we reacted to it. Uh, and then just got into conversations about movies the way that Kevin does when he comes on here. So you'll see that this is a really loose, uh, free-flowing conversation with Kevin Smith that covers uh, his plans for a Tusk sequel uh, and whether or not he'll bring Johnny Depp back to that. Uh, he compares Clerks 3 to Top Gun Maverick, which I think is fantastic. He has a great story about meeting David Fincher at Ben Affleck uh, and Jennifer Lopez's wedding uh, and just all the different things that Kevin can uh, get into because of the life that he leads. He's a fascinating guy, a great storyteller. Uh, and I think this is a perfect follow up to the Kevin Smith tier list that we did on last week's episode that I know you guys enjoyed uh, based on the comments down below. So without further ado, uh, our episode this week is a one hour plus conversation with Kevin Smith on behalf of Clerks 3 uh, and all of his films. All right. Welcome back to the Real Blend podcast. We are joined now by uh, the incredible uh, Kevin Smith, who hasn't been on the show since Jay and Silent Bob reboot. Uh, Kev, it's great to have you back on the show. We're going to just start off by asking you how you've been. I know you were just in Toronto. You're gearing up for the Clerks uh, tour, which is coming up. I'll be at the show in D.C. at the Warner Theater. People can get tickets. Uh, We're very excited for people to see this in theaters. But how have you been, man? What's what's been new with you? Last time we saw you, I know we were at your house. So it's been a while now. Uh, it's things are good, man. It's um, I'm sliding into home at this point. Like this is something I've been building since I was on the reboot roadshow tour where I was like, if they like this, imagine if I did this, but with clerks three. And so I've been waiting for three years to get back to this moment. And Sunday, that moment begins. So um, uh, it's uh, bliss time. You know, it's like it was a vision quest, a Chautauqua, if you will. Um, Trying to get back to a place where I felt like, shit, this is what I'm meant to do. This is how I would like people to consume my media. I know there are other ways to do it, but this is the one that's paramount to me. It just felt like the closest to satisfaction across the boards. That tour model is everything for me and i'm always interested in like course correction and a second bite at the apple for example like you know i remember jim jacks uh who produced mall rats 
when uh, we came out, you know, the movie fucking tanked. You know, he called me on the Saturday morning to give me the grosses. That's how you got the grosses back then. It wasn't like, you know, oh, I want to jump on a website. Like, you, you know, they had to aggregate information by making phone calls to box offices and exhibitors across the country. So Jim Jacks answers the phone, you know, uh, Saturday morning. I call early and uh, he's like, I got the grosses. I was like, all right, man, tell me, tell me how I'm all right, Stu. And he's like, we did 400 grand. And I was like, on what screen? And he said, <laughs> that was all the screens. I was like, what? 500 screens, 400 grand? I'm no mathematician, but that don't feel good, man. He's like, no, it's over. We'll be out of theaters by next Friday. So, uh, you know, when a movie flops, I have inside insight into this. Um, it's very, I liken it to, you know, I was raised Catholic, of course, we've all, seen dogma or we haven't all seen it but we all know that i had issues with it and in being raised catholic you know you're fed a lot of bible stories um when jesus you know gets arrested you know J judas kisses him and shit and then the centurion's like there he is and they grab him and the apostles like just fucking scatter and you know they they see peter and like hey you knew that guy he's like fuck no i didn't you know he denies him three times and then cock gets involved it's pretty hot version of the story at that point. <laughs> but, um, not but, that kind uh, of cock kevin <laughs> no i guess not I well, you read the bible the way you want to i'll read it <laughs> so when a movie fails everyone who was so tightly bound and you bind like fucking you know somebody not having a lot of fiber in the diet when you make a project it's like going to summer camp you know, this will never end. Oh, my God, we'll be friends forever. It's like the end of uh, fucking a year at school when you're signing a fucking yearbook, man. See you over the summer. That's how we felt at your house. This will also never end. We'll be friends forever. You absolutely <laughs> will, because as long as we never have a movie flop together, that'll remain. Because I guarantee <laughs> you, if we made a movie and it flopped, you fuckers wouldn't talk to me for like six months. <laughs> it's, just, it's just what happens. It's like everybody goes into career saving mode. And so everyone wants to get away from the toxicity as quickly as possible. It's literally a bomb and everyone goes fucking running and shit. Wow. So after Mallrats, there was that. There was a period of that, man. We're like four months where you didn't contact anybody um, who was involved with the picture. I was dating Joey at the time. So at least I was still kind of relating to her. But, you know, I, you didn't. I, Jim Jacks, who was like my co-author on the thing or co-pilot, I should say. Um, he like, didn't hear, I didn't hear from him for a long time either. And then the next time I was in Los Angeles, I saw Jim and we went out, grabbed something to eat and shit. We did a mall rats postmortem, you know, four months after the fact, like what went wrong and shit. And that was mostly me going like, you know, what did I fucking do wrong? And Jim Jack said words that like, uh, had a deep impact and they, I still carry him today and they kind of shape my career. Um, when people are like, God, he makes stupid choices. Here's one of the reasons why. Jim Jack's set of mall rats. Um, I said this, I go, it just feels so fucked up to have been so right on clerks and so wrong on mall rats. And Jim Jack's goes, no, we weren't wrong. We were just early. Watch. Mm. And he was absolutely fucking correct. Ten years later, that movie became an umbrella movie for me. Nobody fucking remembered that it flopped and shit like that. It became the movie that everybody loves. And the only person carrying the cross is the filmmaker who remembers like what happened when it came out. But the movie grew up to be something else beyond my fucking control altogether. So that always stuck with me. It's like we weren't early. We were we were just 
we, we weren't, we weren't wrong. We were just early. And so the tour, like we'd done it on red state and I absolutely loved doing it. And, you know, we hadn't figured out how to do it until we started doing it and stuff. Then, you know, once you finish a thing, you're like, Oh my God, I know exactly how to do it. And you're done. So the next time we put it to use was when we toured reboot, uh, uh, what is it? Jay and Silent Bob super group mm-hmm. cartoon movie, the cartoon. Mm-hmm. And then we were never going to touch it again. And then Tusk happened. So <laughs> Tusk comes out. Tusk is this uh, movie that like, you know, I based on one of the podcasts and I had a very ardent online audience. who was like, what's going to happen with it and shit. And a 24, the good folks at a 24 were beautiful enough to finance it, but the financial structure of their company at the time meant that the lion's share of their money came from um, a deal with direct TV and a deal, any deal they could put together with um, a, a, f- a foreign component, like the overseas component, hmm. foreign distribution for the movie. So with Tusk, they made this pretty sweet deal with Sony. Sony gave them like a bunch of money for international rights and home video. And, um, and you know, part of it was a, it has to be a real release, you know, like fucking that means 600 screen commitment or something like that. And so in order to fulfill their obligation to Sony, A24 opened us on 600 screens with no marketing whatsoever, no money. <laughs> like they were like, well, you have all that social media. And I'm like, kids, like if, if it was that easy, I wouldn't need you. Like, are you kidding? So I love the company. Don't get me wrong, but you know, they, they, in order to kind of reach their financial threshold, like the movie was released in the worst possible fucking way, dumped on 600 screens. And then we had a, an abysmal fucking opening and shit made mall rats look successful. And that wouldn't have happened if I toured the movie. And right then and there, I was like, this will never happen to me again. I will never be in the position where somebody makes a dumb fucking choice about releasing my movie and I have no control over it. It did happen again on yoga hosers. That's a whole different fucking thing. <laughs> After that, I was like, Oh my God, I'm touring every one of them. That way I fucking control the ebb and flow. I control what I consider to be successful. Like on the last round with reboot, they were writing stories about us breaking weird records that we weren't even trying to break and stuff like that. You can do that when you do something clever with the release, not just like, let's just dump it in 600 screens and fucking hope for the best. So I'll, I'll never let that happen to my work again. I know now exactly what my formula is. Fucking make it, keep everyone involved while I'm making it. And then there's a version that everyone could go see if they're into it, like the fathom screenings on September 13th to the 18th um, for folks who can't get to a big city and see it with me. But the rest of the time is me touring a fucking flick so a lot of people like we i was doing press recently and we wound up talking about tusk too and somebody's like you fucking serious i was like fuck yeah i'm serious because we weren't wrong we were just early Mm. and i would be stupid a stupid like storyteller to have gone through all all the work that we gone gone through with Tusk. the whole world knows what tusk is now yeah. But, you know, back then, no, I could have used financial help spreading the word. I didn't have it. Doesn't matter. I'm not complaining. Years later, we're like eight years in. The film has an infamous reputation that practically sells itself. And since I love every one of those performers involved, and since Tusk, one of my favorite fucking movies I've ever done, 
And since I have a great story that I would like to go back for it, like to me, I'm like, that's that's our future. 2024 will be the 10 year anniversary of Tusk. And so that's when that's when we'll put it together right now. It's called Tusks. And yes, that S has a dollar sign. Yes! <laughs> like the aliens. Yes! We were yes! hoping you would do that. Like the yes! James Cameron. Absolutely me trying to correct the past. And that's not, some people, are, I read an article on IndieWire. It was very sweet where they were like, since his heart attack, Kevin just does whatever he wants. And that's true. But to be fair, I've always pretty much done whatever I wanted. But what I want to do now is like correct shit where I'm like, no, I was right. We were just early. Yeah. To Like if I let the tusk lie where it is, then I will carry the cross of like failure for the rest of my life. But if I now capitalize on what tusk is like, you know, this would have been brilliant to have done in like 98 post chasing Amy do a mall rat sequel. Oh, okay. Just to show people like, you know, if, it's going to sound so stupid, but it's like, it's like Molly Ringwald in the third act of Pretty in Pink. I just want to show them they didn't break me. Mm -hmm. I just want to show them. I know I was right. You can't fucking chastise me or make me feel wrong for my art anymore. You can tell me you don't like it. That's fucking fine. I get it. But I've had it with people telling me like, oh, he fucked up. No, I didn't fuck up. I was but you weren't fuck. doing sequels, though. You were still chasing original ideas. You know, you still were what going from what Tusks is not an original idea. What are you out of your mind? <laughs> no, that's Tusk what I'm is saying. one of the most original movies I've ever made. Even if I make nine of them, I'm yeah. still ahead of most fucking people. I believe in sequels. I, I will not. All I've done my whole fucking career is make sequels. Clerks. Mallrats is a sequel to Clerks. Chasing Amy is a sequel to Clerks. Dogma is a sequel. Like they're all fucking connected. They've just been hiding classy ways. Interesting. So, no, I will not stand for any of this. Like, <laughs> hey, you're suddenly interested in sequels. Fucking Mallrats proved that in '95. Yeah. Doing it ever since. These are my characters, my stories. I get one fucking lifetime, and I was shamed for a good ten years by fucking critics who were like, he just makes those movies all the way. He's up his own asshole. It's starting again. I'm starting to see it online again. I don't give a fuck anymore. I almost died. It's my life now. I'm going to do exactly what the fuck I want. And what I want to do is take my characters and tell fucking stories until the day I die. I want to leave this fucking earth telling viewers universe stories. And they're all fucking sequels. They're all a sequel to Clerks, technically. So at yeah. the end of the day, man, ain't nothing fucking changed. And me doing Tusks, call it a sequel, if you will, which it absolutely is. Don't get me wrong. But <laughs> that to me is just like, oh no, I fucking, those characters are interesting. I still yeah. have more story to tell. Like there was a reason we left the motherfucker in the zoo at the end. And for years I had to eat shit from people who were like, dumbest thing you ever did was fucking leave him in the zoo at the end of that movie. And now I'm like, oh really? Oh really? <laughs> Tusks. Like that's how shit happens, kids. Like, And so- <laughs> I this talked to Justin like five minutes after you and you told me that. And I said, hey, just a heads up. Kevin told me about Tusk, too. And he goes, he told you. He, goes, he just told me five minutes. What do you mean he told you? <laughs> he texted me to be like, they asked me about Tusk. <laughs> like, how was do that they okay? know? And I, how do they know? And I was like, well, I talked about it. And he was like, oh, my God. So he's delighted. Everyone, I, I reached out to Justin and to Genesis and to Haley uh, to tell them, like, uh, you know, when we hit the 10 year anniversary, I would, you know, I know people are like, he was stupid to make the movie. 
I'd be stupid not to make yeah. tops. Would you bring yeah. debt back? Like, we're going to do it in, in uh, for the 10 year anniversary. Say again. Are you, are you going to bring debt back? I don't. There's a version where like the story I need to tell, I, I, I would have to kill him right in the beginning. I'd have to yeah. psycho it. Right. Yeah. I'd have, <laughs> I'd have to Janet Lee. Well, she made it 20 minutes in the movie. Yeah. I'd have to Drew Barrymore him at the top of screen. Mm. In okay. order to tell the story I need to tell, which I'm not saying is not doable whatsoever and whatnot. Um, you know, I just, it's tough to bank on very famous people, um, right. like superstars. I've learned in the past, then you become kind of at the mercy of their schedule. Hmm. Um, I, you know, I, it's hard enough to get a movie made. I, I'm not going to set myself up for more difficulties by being like, and we need Johnny. Now, that being said, if we're, in a world where he's like absolutely fucking free and it goes nicely with what we're doing. I would never fucking say no, but that's, he's not a, a key component right now. Justin, this is Justin Long is one of my favorite actors on the planet and everybody like, I'm, I'm not saying we all agree with me, but a lot of people like understand he's got fucking chops and motherfucker like, you know, suffered through a rubber walrus movie and has to carry <laughs> it like across for the rest of his fucking life and stuff. What I want to give him in this movie is what I gave Michael Parks. Michael Parks, Tusk, oh. is Michael Parks fucking swan song, essentially. It was Michael Parks doing the most Michael Parks performance of, of all time. And because he has it, he had it in him and stuff. Mm. Justin, I'm not going to say he's a modern day Michael Parks, but Justin is an amazing performer and a horror icon. So, I, you know, Justin can be charming as fuck. He could be sinister in a movie and shit like that. But what he can do, and I'm I'm fully fucking convinced. I, I, I know him. It's not from personal life, but knowing him as a performer, I know he can unnerve and fucking scare you and terrify you. You've and seen Barbarian? The story oh, man. Tell, the story yeah. I want to tell is he he is he's now Howard Howe. Like yeah. what visit what's visited upon you gets visited upon others. And a cycle of abuse that goes forward. Kevin, did oh. you see Barbarian? No, how is it? Oh, Incredible! Wild. If you if you it's think wild. you put him through some wild shit in Tusk, wait till you see the shit that he has to do in this movie. Uh, I know Sean's gonna be up with the next question, but I wanted to ask you something because you talked about Mallrats. Who directed Barbarian? Zach yep. Kreger. Zach Kreger, first timer. He did first a movie time. called. He did a no. He did. Um, he did Miss March with Trevor Moore. Oh, did um, he? Really? Okay, back in like yeah. So have he's like. A, seen, have, have you guys seen the George Miller movie? No, no, not yet. It not it, it, not it, out yet. It came out, but it 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 bombed. Unfortunately, I, they, they didn't press screen it in the run up to it coming out. You guys mm -hmm. weren't they, like they didn't press no. screen it at all. Is that right? This yeah. is a fucking follow up to Fury Road. Yeah. Yes, I know. I just watched the trailer yeah. this morning. I was like, this looks amazing. It played a can, and then it just disappeared. Who released? Uh. That MGM neon, yeah, yeah, yeah. MG, MGM sounds right, actually. I don't yeah. know who it was. I gotta, I, man, I, gotta was. I gotta find it, man. That trailer looks intense. Kev, I gotta ask you real quick because you mentioned Mallrats, and like for me, I've always told you Mallrats is my favorite of yours, and I even I still have the VHS tape where I recorded it off an HBO free weekend when I was a kid. It has seven from Dust Till Dawn and Mallrats on it. You're the reason uh, I don't have that sweet Tarantino <laughs> motherfucker because well, like in my shit left and right. <laughs> I was a kid. Well, house. It's fucking huge. He's got a movie theater in it. <laughs> you do that because you respect him and you buy his fucking media. 
<laughs> well, weirdly enough, I got a Fincher movie on here, a Tarantino movie, and a Kevin Smith Holy movie shit, on man. I didn't tell you guys, when I was at Ben's wedding, I met Fincher. Oh, no kidding, really? Yes. What? It was really, first it was time? really fucking dope. Yeah, I think that's the first time, because this was my... You know, you meet people, uh, people meet me and they always apologize for saying what they say is stupid shit. Like, I just lost my head and said some stupid shit. I'm no different. I meet famous people and I'm like, blah, 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 blah. So I'm outside uh, about to grab a smoke and homeboy walks by me and he goes, well, you, you clean up nice. And I was like, oh, so do you. And, but I was like, you know, I thought it was one of Ben's friends or something like that. Yeah. And he goes, hey man, David Fincher. And I was like, this was my reaction to, hey man, David Fincher. Is that what you look like? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what Fincher looked like. I said, I talk about you all the time. I was like, you're the best of us, man. But I talk about how I'm like the uh, the bizarro you because you make a movie and then you just don't say shit. You just let the movie talk for itself. Let the art speak. And I'm the other guy who makes a movie. And then I rush out afterwards and be like, wait, wait, wait. Let me tell you what fucking happened and stuff. <laughs> he was absolutely fucking lovely. And I talked about, uh, I was like, your dad wrote, I said, was your brother or your dad wrote the Manx screenplay? And he was like, my dad. I was like, number one, how sweet. I said, number two, there's a line in there that like stays with me and will stay with me forever about our business where he talks about like, you know, it's one of the only businesses where you sell like the product and the client doesn't get to keep it. They just they don't own it. it. But I'm, I'm fucking they, they, you. You buy a memory. You buy a memory. And it's like, it was so poetic. So fucking like, Oh my God, that's true. What a fucking scam this business is. Like, it's like selling somebody with something with a string attached yeah. and then they pay for it. And you're like, yoink. And you get to like, take it right the fuck back. It's so crazy, but it was nuts, man. It, it was so nuts meeting fucking meeting him and stuff. Uh, his birthday just happened, right? Yeah. He was 60. I do a dude I met other than the, the white hair. He didn't fucking look 60 and he don't make movies like a 60 year old. What's shit. your favorite Fincher movie? You know, I'm, I would, I mean, I know everybody's like fucking the social network and it's an utterly watchable film, insanely well-made, but like Fight Club is a magic trick, an absolute fucking magic trick. Um, it, it's still to this day, utterly watch, knowing the end, like, you know, at a certain point I stopped watching Titanic because I was like, I know how this fucker ends. I know Fight Club inside out, I can never stop watching it. I still find things to appreciate about it. Um, deep dive, this fantastic composition wonderful storytelling brilliant performances i mean that to me was like this fucking guy fuck man and that was the same year that dogma came out and you know i was my head was up my own ass you're a dogma right like i went after paul thomas anderson and and fucking magnolia because i was so like hurt that people weren't giving dogma the same kind of praise he was getting but i wouldn't fucking touch uh, venture man, because I, I, I had nothing but fucking gobsmacked respect for Fight Club. Uh, Kevin, I want to transition to this then, because you have been uh, talking lately, especially as you've been doing press for Clerks 3 and, and, and speaking to different places about um, how special Lionsgate has been with their support uh, for the movie. And, so you know, people are now used to this model that you put out, but all of a sudden you have a studio that loves the movie that you're putting out together. So just for our listeners who are uh, tuning into this uh, talk about how important it is to have the backing of even like a mid-major uh, to get a movie like this pushed even further. Absolutely. Like it's, and and people also get frustrated with the, what I, my, like my model or whatever, it's not mine, but like the way we do it, they're like, why can't you just release it like a normal movie? And then you got to explain to kids that it's like, it's one thing to get the budget for the movie. 
that's a fucking miracle in and of itself, man. Um, getting the marketing for the movie as a completely different conversation. So when Lionsgate reached out to Liz Destro, um, who's one of our producers, we had done, I talked about this in the past, the physical media, the sale of physical media, sales of physical media is what enabled us to make Clerks 3 after all this time. After Jane Saw and Bob reboot came out, Lionsgate had a home video. Universal had foreign, Saban had domestic, Lionsgate had home video. They had done so well selling Blu-rays and DVDs, which people still absolutely buy, that they reached out to Liz and they were like, if you have anything else, if Kevin has any of this other Jane Silent Bob bullshit that's under fucking $8 million, we're we're there, man, because the, this fucking shit sells and whatnot. So instantly I was like, oh, I definitely have something that could fall under that budget model. So them going like, here's the money to make the movie is not them going here. We're going to release it theatrically because, you know, I could get a movie made for like 7 million bucks or whatever the fuck to release that movie. It's about 20, 20 million bucks. And the, you know, with clerks too, our budget was 5 million and we made like 25, they spent 20 marketing. It just becomes a fucking wash. Why bother? Why bother spending all that money? Especially like, who like back in the who even knows what they spend on on marketing anymore? Back in the in my day, it was like TV spots. But I'd be damned before I'd pay somebody to put a fucking commercial on TV. Who the fuck watches TV anymore? Right. Um, right. So and then it also was just like oh the magazine ads and the newspapers. Well, there's only like three of those left on the fucking planet. I don't know where the marketing costs still come from, but the marketing costs are higher, higher than the production costs. Selling you the movie costs more. In my case than making the movie. Um, so for us, it makes more sense to do it this way, but it also, there's no alternative. It's not like I'm sitting there going, let me choose more the more difficult option because that's better for me and mine. It's, that's That was it. That's what we get. So the good news was like, we had kind of established this last time where we you know, road trip the movie around um, and then also Fathom released it like in mainstream theaters for like two nights so if people were like i can't i don't want to overpay to see it with you and i can't get to a city i still want to be able to see this shit fathom has been incredibly useful with that we've done fathom events in the past prior to that and and they were like moderately successful and shit reboot they did very very well and we were all happy and we were like jesus if we had pushed just a little bit more what could it have been and stuff so Lionsgate had seen that model. So going into this, the conversation was always about we'll make this movie. And then like, of course, that like we're going to kill on home video and stuff. You guys tour it the way you did. <laughs> and uh, at the same time, if you want to do the Fathom screenings like you guys did, we work with Fathom all the time. So they saw the model that we had and they were like, that's perfect for us. It worked out for us with Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. How can it not work out with Clerks 3, I guess, was their philosophy. So it's been an incredibly fruitful relationship as long as one knows one's place. Like if I ever lost my head and was like, this is good enough for real movie theaters, the relationship would have broken down because they would have been like, that was never part of the discussion. And and that's pride, honestly. That's like the only reason to do that for someone like me. I have a very ardent fan base, but it's not a Marvel fan base. So it's like, it's not everybody. Like, it's ardent, but it's localized all around the fucking map and shit. So it makes more sense to do what I'm doing because it saves money in the long run. You know, 
it being everywhere available for everybody 24 fucking seven. I had that when I was a kid and it's nice, but like the world's different now. I'm lucky to even fucking be making movies still, let alone fucking touring one, let alone getting one into a movie theater. We almost lost fucking movie theaters, you know, two years ago for Christ's sake. So at the end of the day, like I do feel bad for the folks that are like, this is frustrating having to find a place. The good news is that found events. We pre-sold so much for the two days. We were supposed to do it just September 13th and the 15th. But they were like, the response is huge. We feel like we could do a weekend. And I've never had a Fathom Events weekend, so that's awesome. So now it's the 13th to the 18th. There's like one show a night. You can see it in a movie theater near you. Um, then we tour it. But and but it's not like it. And then it comes out on video the next day. They haven't even told me the home video date yet. So it's nowhere close. Um, so it's it's nice. It's like we have our own version of an event picture. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we can create that event with it so long as we're not trying to sell it to the fucking world so long as we're trying to sell it to people that give a fuck you can eventize uh, something and i know online a lot of people are like yeah your idea of eventizing is just charging more to see the movie and in reality it's not that at all what it is is if you come see me do a q a or something like that it's like 37 to 50 bucks if you come see me with the movie it's like 37 50 bucks all i'm doing is like giving you the free movie on top of the fucking q a that i normally do nice. so it's no like you know brilliant reworking of the system it was just years ago with red state i was like well i can fill a theater just talking so what if i brought the movie in addition to the talk and that's right. kind of where we are now can you put wow. maverick at the end of the title clerks <laughs> three maverick oh my god <laughs> Fucking amen. If from your lips to God's ears. Look, I do feel like we're, we're certainly not going to do Maverick business, but I do feel like we're tapping into the same thing that made that successful. And not, I don't mean Tom Cruise, obviously, he's the number one component and stuff, but there was a uh, nostalgia sentimentality factor at work with it that benefited from that move that pushed it over the edge. You know, it didn't just play like a normal Tom Cruise blockbuster. People kept going back and there's a reason for that. It made them fucking feel something. And mm. you can make them fucking feel something. Oh, fuck. I mean, look, they like going to the movies anyway, the audience. But, you know, if they're going for one thing and in the case of Maverick, Tom, you know, Top Gun Maverick, they were going for a Top Gun sequel. And in the process, they got something a little extra. Oh, shit. They'll follow you to the ends of the earth and shit. So same thing with us. I've been warning people for months. I'm like, it's funny movie but bring your tissues and people are like, why? Because you're going to jerk off. I'm like, yes. And then you will cry into the same <laughs> tissue. It's going to be very awkward, <laughs> but, but yes, it's an emotional affair. And you know, I'd be stupid not to do that. Like think about it. Clerks had clerks drips with authenticity. That first movie, because I was a fucking kid filmmaker who's like, Oh my God, all I want to be thought of as a director when I grow up and shit. And like, I worked in the same store where we made the movie that will never happen again. The success of clerks prohibits me from ever being that person again. Mm -hmm. I own retail establishments now. I'm not the guy at the counter. <laughs> the guy at the counter was like, this job would be great if we were for the fucking customers. I'd be like, you're fired. You know, so clearly there's a life change. There's a life shift. So I can't tell that fucking story with a clerks movie, like the idea of boots on the ground retail, but I could still bring authenticity to it. So Clerks 3 drips with the authenticity of the heart attack that really happened. And it drips with the authenticity of them making the movie that we actually made as well. In the process, lots of fucking fun, lots of low hanging fruit, easy laughs. And then we fucking give you some shit to think about. 
to take home with you. And I think that's probably the most valuable aspect of the movie. Um, that seems to be what people are re responding to. I was delighted we had the premiere. That's like the first time like a bunch of fucking randos are seeing the movie and shit like that. And um, they all responded at all. A lot of them kept talking to me about the, I talk at the end of the movie, like mm -hmm. the credits, while the credits are rolling. I don't jump in right away all obnoxiously and shit, but when the credits are about two minutes from done, I kind of jump in and, and monologue for a bit. And, you know, I was always thinking that some people would be like, ew, he can't fucking stay out of it. He's been <laughs> literally talking through the characters the whole movie, and now he has to put his own fucking voice in it. I told you he disappeared up his own ass. But people seem to respond to it very well. It's incredibly heartfelt. So it'd be, you'd have to be a fucking robot or a hardcore syndicator to not see the fucking beauty and what's being said and the symmetry of like where we are in the whole thing. I'll tell you, it's pretty magical having a fucking trilogy. Now, you know, to be fair, I had the Jersey trilogy at the beginning of my career, but that was just the first three movies I made. Mm -hmm. I, I was a marketing hook is all that was. Clark's now is a flat out trilogy. And I'm like, wow, that's kind of fucking fun. And I got three of a kind, like what else can I do it with? So <laughs> I, you know, I'm definitely hope. Obviously, I'm moving toward a Tusk trilogy. <laughs> if I can make, if I can get to two, two dollar signs, <laughs> exactly. If I can get to two, holy shit, fucking, you better believe I can get to three. Um, hopefully, Mallrats, like that's that's um, still on deck. In as much as uh, you know, Lionsgate has been uh, sniffing around about ways for us to do that with them, which would be absolutely delightful so fingers crossed there um but yeah it's it, you know you live long enough you start going like what else can i fucking do that's interesting to me because it's got to be interesting to me otherwise what the fuck right otherwise it ain't going to translate for everybody else so what has tickled my fancy for the last fucking 10 years has been the idea of making a clerk's three and i've seen it a few times and i'm like fuck i knew i was right like i knew that's what <laughs> that's awesome you know, now I'm going to tour it to death and and live in the bliss. But then we got to go back to work. And I don't know, you know, for a while I was like, shit, I don't know how I follow up a Clerks 3 tour. Like, we, I know we're going to make the 430 movie, which is the movie I'm going to make at my movie theater at Smodcastle Cinemas. That doesn't feel like a touring affair as much as it feels like a film festival film and stuff. Mm -hmm. But like a touring affair is creating a party and fucking Tusk Tusks is a party that I would like to tour with. Like that is something that is a story worth telling after Clerks 3. Clerks 3, the convenience tour is such a special story to tell. How do you follow that up? And it's like, oh, remember the fucking movie that flopped? Like we're going to reclaim that bitch, man, by putting another walrus in it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, Kevin, we one have my, a... One of my favorite moments still in my entire career is when you live episode 259 of uh podcast the walrus and the carpenter it is you know I, I talk about my deep abiding love for the marvel universe and sometimes take shit for it and whatnot but i don't give a fuck i love those movies the marvel universe is deeply tied to the origin of tusk because when scott Mosier and i are telling the story as we're like building this ridiculous story like i was like and in the third act just like in iron man the guy comes out in a bigger walrus suit. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, inspiration is from the most unlikely fucking places. But I, 
I owe Favreau and Kevin Feige because like that's all Tusk is is a very fucked up version of Iron Man. <laughs> Stanley is listening to that story from heaven going, what the fuck? He's like, Kevin, you didn't understand my story. <laughs> This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly, and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Uh, Kevin, over the last six weeks, we've spoken extensively on the show about our experience, our incredible experience of uh, getting to watch Clerks 3 at your home, and then the very surreal experience of you being kind enough to drive us to Quentin's house. And whenever I tell that story to anyone that'll listen, which is just about anyone within arm's length, I grab them and tell them that story. The The way I describe it is, hi, my dog is here. The way I describe it is that there there was no, I didn't know how to behave in your car because there is no social protocol for one of your favorite directors driving you to the house of one of your other favorite directors. Like, right. I didn't know, like, do we invite him inside? Like, what do we do when we get in the driveway? <laughs> like, there's just, there's no cliff, bo- there's no there are the cliff notes for like how to behave. So I guess my question for you is, what is a celebrity encounter you've had in your life where you just thought, oh, I don't know how to behave in this scenario i don't know what social protocol is here happens all the time to me uh number one when you get into a car and it reeks of weed you know (laughs) that all behavior is is permissive at that point there's no there's no bar there's no like well you better fucking behave in this car um let me see i've like i was just telling uh my kid and and austin uh, harley and her boyfriend austin he's the guy he's in uh, the movies well, he's great he, in the movie he's, he's so sweet in the movie um but i was telling him uh the other day she had some famous encounter and shit and i was like yeah i've gone fucking stupid in front of people i was like john ham and the kids like john ham i was like yeah i fucking love john ham like John Hamm to me is one of my favorite actors on the planet. I was a huge Mad Men fan. Um, and and also I love when he does comedy. He's brilliant on SNL. I'm so happy he's Fletch. He's Fletch, like, yeah. I, I think that's brilliant casting yeah. for a guy who loves those books. Yep. Is absolutely brilliant casting. Because oh, but I wanted to see I, you and Jason take that though. I me oh, too. And I, and I say that as a guy who wanted to do Fletch one with Jason Lee, but John Hamm, like 
is a fuckable, like an incredibly fuckable Fletch. And that's who Fletch is. Like everybody wants to fuck him. Yeah. And he's charming and funny. And that's who John Hamm is. So I crossed over many times with John because we worked at AMC. We both had shows at AMC. We had comic book men. He was on Mad Men. So every time AMC had events, they would kind of, we'd be thrown into the same mix. And he's a very fun, friendly guy um, who, you know, long before he was Don Draper, he toiled as an indie actor. So he's familiar with like the shit I did as a kid who wanted to be a thing. He was like, oh, fuck clerks. So um, every time I like met him, like I go hard on hardcore fandom where I'm just like, oh my God, dude, I just rewatched this episode, blah, blah. And a few times he's been really like cool about it. We were at this thing at Sundance and um, you know, uh, it, it was, I forget which year we were there for. I think it might've been the year of yoga hosers, but AMC also held a broadcasters like crossover event there where all their affiliates were in, at park city. And so they brought in, their talent. So I, I was there as a dinner. I was there and uh, John Hamm was there as well. And um, I cornered John Hamm at one point. He had made the mistake of being like, Kevin, how are you? And I cornered him and I just fucking like rewatched the final season of Mad Men and went so hardcore in his face. And and I get very complimentary, um, not obsequiously so, but you know, I'm a hardcore fucking stoner. So naturally I feel everything. So like, when you're complimented, it is, it's, it's a little intense. Um, and so I think he felt that intensity. <laughs> he did one of those things where you like touch a person to be like, we're done. Like, <laughs> thank you, Kevin. And then walked away as quickly as possible. Like it had gone on three minutes longer than he seemed comfortable with. I was, my kid, I was like, Oh yeah. I, I, you know, it's tough not to fan out when you meet people, that do things that like you love or have had an impact uh, in your life. You know, Quentin, you guys asked me like, come on in and fucking say hi to Quentin. You know, I, like I've known Quentin off and on for since the beginning of my career, we were both Miramax Katiers and shit like that. I still get tongue tied around the fucking dude because like he's made some of the greatest pieces of art that I've consumed in my life. So yeah, I, I, I get awkward around fuckers as well. I, I just, I try not to be around famous people for that very fucking reason. Um, <laughs> Cause I, I too, like, you know, I, you'd think I know how to conduct myself, but at the end of the day, I just become quivering fanboy. That's part of the fun of this job. Like being able to text James Gunn and, and fucking be like, dude, like John Cena dancing around in his underwear to fucking how the pain in peacemaker is like one of my favorite visuals of the year. It's so incredibly haunting and fucking moving and shit like that. Or that fucking tra- using, you know, that fucking song in the Flaming Lips trail song in the fucking Guardian trailer is amazing. Mm-hmm. And the dude like will write back and shit like that to me is one of the greatest parts of the job. And and that makes me no different than everyone in the audience. Everyone in the audience uses social media to reach out to the people whose work they like or also people whose work they don't like and shit. But they use that as a conduit. And you hope that that person's going to see it. They're like prayers in the air. You hope that they're going to be answered. I can be the rarefied air if I can literally blow up a motherfucker. And if he don't answer me, I know they're ghosting me and fucking shit like that. And I can lay pressure, but that that's such a beautiful fucking part of the job to be able to share with, you know, fellow artists, like a better description, like what you do moves me or has moved me or did this. And she like sharing the thing with Fincher about fucking that script is like, you know, I could have done that all night. I was like, Ooh, here's another fucking thing. I get very Chris Farley 
around people whose work I like, where I'm like, remember that time when you did social <laughs> That media? was cool. That was awesome, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Kev, I, I want to do like a, a, a big scope question here because I, I want to know if you, uh, if you can t- walk me through the first scene you ever shot in the first Clerks f- film, and then either the first or the last scene you shot in Clerks 3. Um, if, if you can't say the last scene due to spoilers, you can go to the first scene, whichever is easier for you to do. But I, I just want to know that. We shoot all that. We shoot all that shit out of sequence. So you're probably there's I don't know if we'll spoil anything uh, here. I'll, I'll do you one better, man. I was so gross last night, like two in the morning. I was smoking weed and I watched the beginning and end of Clerks, the beginning and end of Clerks 2 and the beginning and end of Clerks 3 to see like what kind of filmmaker I developed as. And here's some like bar trivia, only if you're at a bar in New Jersey. Um, <laughs> the uh, Clerks doesn't open with Dante pulling up in front of Quick Stop. Clerks 2 does and Clerks 3 does. And so does Jay and Silent Bob reboot. But Clerks doesn't. Clerks opens with my ex-girlfriend's dog sitting on the bed. Um, mm-hmm. Haiku. And then Dante falls out of the closet and yeah. the story, he gets ready for work. We don't get to Quick Stop for the first, I don't know, five minutes of the movie. And Randall doesn't come into it for the first 15, 17 minutes and stuff. Jay and Silent Bob get into the movie before Randall does. Wow. You want to learn, uh, you want to see efficiency in storytelling and fucking learning over the course of a life. Clerks too, man, like Dante, Randall, right up front in the opening fucking music montage. Jay and Silent Bob at the very end of it in the very next fucking song. We put all our pieces onto the board right away. Same with Clerks 3. Clerks three brings them in much more poetically, man. Um, and I've been trying to shoot this fucking thing in my head for like a, a decade. I'm a big fan of uh, the local Jersey band, my chemical romance. And uh, I one of my favorite songs on the planet is welcome to the black parade. I did a deep dive. Listen with the way brothers years ago on Smodcast with both Gerard and Mikey way where they came over the house and I played the song. It was like two hours long. So I played the song and I pause it and be like, what does that mean? And they literally broke the whole fucking thing down and stuff. So I love the song and I knew it would make this beautiful reintroduction to our world. Wordless whole opening of fucking clerks three is like, nobody's really talking. I think one line, Vinnie Pereira gets to say, fuck you out loud or something in the middle of the hockey game. Um, but generally speaking, it's like a filmmaker making a film like, you know, and if you look at clerks, as a kid trying to be a filmmaker, uh, by the time you get to the third one, it's like, oh, he knows what he's doing. Opening of the first thing I ever shot on Clerks was we went, we started an RST video and we started with um, Randall behind the counter with way too much eye makeup, which we replicated in Clerks 3 for this exact moment. Veronica sitting on the counter facing us and it starts with Randall going, so that's it. He doesn't love you anymore. He loves Caitlin. So we shot that scene. Very next scene we shot was uh, that. So that was Jeff Anderson playing Randall and uh, Marilyn Gigliotti playing Veronica. The very next scene we shot was Brian O'Halloran as Dante and the late, great Lisa Spoonhour, uh, Smod Rest Her Soul, um, playing Caitlin in, in their seven minute uncut performance profile fucking take, which second scene you shot. That's the second scene we ever shot. And we only did it twice. We probably didn't even have to do it twice. First take was fucking good enough. But uh, I was like, can we do it one more time? So we did it twice. So that was opening night. And on opening night of Clerks, I think there were like 10, 15 people like on the crew, like there to fucking help and shit. Like, oh, this is amazing. 
by the third night of clerks, it was down to me and Dave Klein <laughs> and Scott Mosier uh, because everyone like realizes how boring movie making is. <laughs> a lot of repetition <laughs> over yeah. and over. And like, this is making movies. Fuck this. So they all kind of fucked off during the process and stuff. Um, thankfully, the movie didn't require uh, many hands on deck. <laughs> that was the, that was how we uh, opened the first movie. We opened Clerks 3 opening day was on my birthday, my 51st birthday. And the first thing we shot was most of the audition montage stuff. So the boys at the First Avenue Playhouse auditioning their movie Inconvenience. And the only people that we had on location were the Impractical Jokers. All four of them came and shot at the First Avenue Playhouse. We picked up everyone else, like at Smod Castle and other places and stuff. Um, so we spent all day doing that. And then we also... Um, uh, went to uh, the, uh, in the middle of Atlantic Islands to grab an exterior shot of a house. Uh, so that was day one. You know, we started kind of light, kind of easy on day one. That's wild. Those, those, those juxtaposition between those two moments. Wow. Kevin, Kevin I want to detour. Years, years later, like you could build a schedule to start light. You know, like we, we didn't, it wasn't like, oh, uh, shooting Caitlin and Dante in the in the video store, the seven minute monologue is the easiest scene. It was just like, let's just start there. There was no real like strategic rationale behind what went first. Nowadays, you know, I could tell the AD, uh, in, like Shane in this case, like, do me a favor, throw this first because like I know we can, that'll be easy as fuck. Then we can ramp into the rest of this stuff and blah, blah, blah. You get to orchestrate a little bit more because you know what everybody's capable of. And this time around, like I know exactly what all of the players are capable of, not just like Brian and Jeff, obviously, and Jason Muse, but like we were so lucky because we shot this movie in New Jersey entirely. This is the first movie since Clerks in which I shot the movie entirely in New Jersey. So since we're shooting at Quick Stop and shooting in Leonardo, where we shot the original 29 years ago, that gives us access to all the day players that we never would have flown out if we were shooting here in Los Angeles. Like, there's no way that I'm ever calling up like my ex-girlfriend, Kim Locker, and be like, get on a plane, come out here, stand next to Ernie and say, you know, fucking the same shit you said 29 years ago. <laughs> Yeah. But because we were in fucking Leonardo and because like Kim lives the next town over, I was like, oh, my God, come stand next to Ernie and say the same <laughs> shit that you said 29 years ago. And we were able to do that with like all the people from the first clerks. Most of them returned. So what you have is this cascading effect of cameos that almost mean more than the famous people. Like, mm. don't get me wrong. When the famous people pop up in the cameo, that's where we put all my famous friends are the ones that were free in the section where Dante and Randall are auditioning for the movie. It's, it's fun place to have people reiterate the lines from clerks and whatnot, but the, um, the, the having the real people like, you know, Thomas Burke who played the roofer. Um, he was the guy that was like, I'm a roofer done and ready home improvements this is a motherfucker who like, whether you know, whether you watch clerks once, you know, that star Wars scene. Mm -hmm. So yeah. he's like one of the most fucking famous indie film performers of all time for one scene and one scene only. And Thomas lives around the block from quick stop. So suddenly you're like, Oh my God, put Thomas in. And then when people see him, they're like, Holy shit, that guy, that guy's <laughs> back. You know, it's like a bigger reaction than some of the famous people. 
So it was such a beautiful prospect that we got to shoot in our backyard, our, our old backyard, our old stomping grounds. Mm. Uh, Kevin, I want to take a quick detour, if we could, for uh, a, a performer who we uh, all admire, who's very, very special to us, um, who announces retirement, Bruce Willis. And uh, when you spoke about him uh, recently, I'm actually I'm actually working on a book that's encapsulating his entire filmography. And you nailed something about him early on where you compared his David Addison to uh, to Bill Murray and and to the way that Murray and Stripes and Murray and Meatballs was was that sort of character. Um, and in writing about him, I'm realizing just the breadth of the you know, of what he contributed to us. And it's it's comedies and it's science fiction and it's work with auteurs. Um, and, and, and hell you were in a fucking diehard movie, you know, something that the rest of us can never, ever say. So I would love to just know what you think about his legacy. Like what, you know, when you look back over what he gave us, you know, what, what will you remember about Bruce? Cause I know he was special to you too. Uh, he, he was, and, and still is. I, I wish um, how special he was to me was reflected in the caliber of the work that we get together, did yeah. together, but you know, so be it. Um, it, it. I went into that with a pure heart and a lot of love because that's the pride of Penn's Grove right there. Yeah. Like, you know, he, he's been Bruce, I believe was born overseas. If I remember my Bruce mythology, correctly. Germany, yeah. Germany uh, you know, an army kid, I think, or military kid. But when he grew up, he grew up in Penn's Grove, New Jersey. So early on with the success, the breakthrough success of moonlighting, we didn't have an internet to like, you know, fucking look up all the facts we wanted. You had to do real research to find out about motherfucker. The day I found out that he was from New Jersey, that was validating as fuck. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, my God, this guy is the modern day Bill Murray. Like back then, I'd be like, this is TV Bill Murray, which is funny because Bill Murray came from TV. Well, <laughs> but characters that he helped define, like Bill Murray for me was the live action Bugs Bunny. Yeah. Like the guy who always had the right thing to say, get away with everything, always escaping trouble by the hair of his fucking tail, H-A-R-E as well. So, you mm -hmm. know, for me, for me, when when David Addison came on the scene and he was I'm not saying he was doing a Bill Murray knockoff. I'm sure the Internet will be like Smith slaughters uh, fucking Willis and says he's a knockoff of Bill Murray. Not at all. Not at all. Not but at all. a similar sensibility ethos to the character of kind of breezing through life, you know, just kind of that character is in the DNA of all my characters. You don't get a Randall Graves. Yeah. David Addison. Yeah. I'll get a Brody without a David Addison. You know, the underdog. The motherfucker who's the smartest motherfucker in the room, yep, you know, is not being reflected as such in his life, but doesn't care, doesn't give a shit, man, knows that they're the smartest motherfucker in the room, the cleverest person there. So, you know, you're talking about a guy who informed my work. He didn't just entertain me like, you know, like everyone else. I fucking I was blown out the back of the theater with fucking Die Hard and shit. And, you know, I went with a bunch of people that didn't know what to expect. And and to be fair, I didn't expect Alan Rickman and I didn't expect like the, the bombastic, you know, gigantic nature of the movie it is almost yeah. like an Irwin Allen disaster film and shit. But I did expect Bruce Willis because I'd been a long time David Addison acolyte. Even going far back, like I remember before Bruce broke huge, he did an arc as a mobster on Miami Vice that was yes, he did. really yes. impressive and stuff. So killer death scene. Work, it's got a killer death scene in it. Killer there. death scene in it. His work, <laughs> his work is David Addison, though. And I'm not just harping on it because I'm not I'm not trying to avoid 
our relationship down the road. I think we've talked about that enough and stuff. Sure. But his work as as David Addison for me um, was was epic, was was impacted greatly. A watershed a moment for television because he couldn't he, he could absolutely pull off smart Alec. Here's something that Bugs Bunny never really did. He never really made you cry. And why would he? They're fucking cartoons. Um, They're meant to make you laugh. But as David Addison, he could be clever and funny and just the absolute human personification of Bugs Bunny and then be devastatingly heartbreaking in episodes. Um, Not just like the will they, won't they nature, the star-crossed nature of his relationship with Maddie Hayes, played by the great Civil Shepherd. But there were episodes like where he saw like his old girlfriend. I think Dana Delaney. Up. When Dana oh, Delaney came in yeah, and recognized episode, him, absolutely. and you realize that they had a past, and he he soft plays it right, and yeah. you're like, this motherfucker could act. Look at this. And then, and then they have that killer scene, almost wordless dialogue scene, where she meets him in the park, and they're playing the you know I love you. This old yes. heart of mine, the yes. eyes of yes. yes, that will always live in my memory. There's another moonlighting moment that I'll take with me to my grave, and it is the end of the episode of one of my favorites, where his his uh, father comes in. He's played by the great Paul Sorvino. Yes, have a great meeting where he's like David Addison, I presume, and he and he's like David Addison, I presume, and he finds out his father is marrying a woman who David drunkenly slept with years yep. ago at a bar yep. and shit like that, and he doesn't want to like tell his dad. And and finally, Maddie's like encouraging to, and right before the wedding, they have this kind of come clean moment where the woman talks about how much she loves like his father and what she meant to him, what a hero he is. Yeah, and I'm gonna cry talking about it. And David realizes that like it doesn't doesn't, and she doesn't even fucking remember him. He thinks right. the time that she's got him made, but. She doesn't remember him. He, she is an all in with his dad. And so it's a very beautiful episode. And at the end of it, the PS to the episode post post commercial right before the fucking credit block is David and Maddie dancing to um, sweet love by Anita Baker. And I swear to you, man, I'll leave this earth thinking of that moment as one of the most sweepingly romantic things that I've ever seen in my life. There's the two people that are made for each other. And at this point in the show, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And it was like one of their first kind of, you know, beyond like he was always kind of smutty and, and, and innuendo and yeah. flirty and shit like that. But this was real. And he he is such a stunning romantic when he plays it that way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I fell in love with him early, early on and, and continued to be throughout his entire career. What is his legacy? Impressive as fuck. Like beautiful, um, you know. I know a lot of people uh, point to the stuff he did lately, but it's like, it's, I, I grew up with this man's work and his work impacted mine, not just in the way of like, Oh, I like what he did. That movie was cool. He, he influenced my work. Like some of my favorite characters in the world that I've ever created. Oh, you know, the, their DNA to, of course, the writers of that character, but also the guy who played that character so expertly. So, yeah, it's, you know, he unmistakable what he's brought to, to entertainment, to TV, to movies and all around, absolute all around entertainment. And to me personally as well. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate that.
Oh God, no worries, no worries. Any chance to talk about the Dana Delaney episode of fucking? Holy shit, dude! Like, can't you can't find moonlighting anymore? You don't happen across it anywhere on fucking TV. So here's how you got to do it: you got to go to YouTube and you watch badly cropped versions of it. That's that's where you're. you're, That's what I've resorted to. Yes, Um, but I also have two box sets on DVD. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Um, See, kids, never throw out your old media. You never know. HBO Max is going to take it from you. Wait, wait you exactly. David Zoslav will never take moonlighting from me. <laughs> well, you mentioned HBO Max real quick. Wait, you got to tell the story real quick about how you use HBO Max to frame your uh, shots for the original clerks. That, that is do. the coolest. That's why, that's why I was so, look, I love HBO Max. It's one of my favorite fucking streamers. And so when they announced like, you, uh, you ain't seen nothing yet, we're going to blow it apart. I'm like, fuck, why? It was incredibly useful for us in the making of Clerks 3. Um, Clerks was on uh, HBO Max the whole month we were shooting Clerks 3 in New Jersey. So whenever we, you know, when we did the flashback stuff, there's a whole section of the movie where the boys make inconvenience, which looks an awful lot like Clerks. And that's the fun where we get to like call shit back and, and you know, play a little further. And it's it's the that's, you know, the, the meat of the trailer pretty much uh, is like, oh, my God. They make the movie. So we're going to get to see the movie we made again and again and again. So um, in doing so, the um, the uh, shit, what was the question? I just said a pothole. Oh, about about the HBO Max using it to reframe your shots. So when we had to do the flashback shots, we needed, you know, to get as fucking close as possible in order for the joke to land. It has to look like the thing that you're referencing. So, you know, we were in the place, which is great. Um, quick stop is the place we had the actors, which is great, but well, like to have the exact composition, I would pull up the scenes from the movie, pause it on my phone, on this phone here and shit like that. <laughs> and then we would put this, hang it on the monitor, um, right next to the camera. And so Leron would compose to that where he'd like look through the thing and then look at this and see like, okay. And then be like, Brian, move one inch, stop. All right, move the drink over. Just perfect. All right, now everybody don't move. Act. And it was insanely (laughs) helpful in order to accomplish what we needed to accomplish. For those moments to like really fucking hit hard, and they do. I've now watched it work. They had to be ridiculously on point. And HBO Max helped keep us ridiculously on point by having clerks on that month. That's so funny. All right, Kevin, um, we want to get you out of here on this. Uh, we like to play a game. We played this with Quentin and uh, and Roger as well, too. Uh, it's called the IMDb. Wait, if, if this is a game you played with Quentin and Roger, it must be a money counting game. I don't think <laughs> I don't think I'm qualified for that game. Uh, it's called the IMDb game. And essentially oh. uh, at the top of everyone's IMDb page, there are four uh, posters that that best represent the person's career. Uh, we have learned over time that it changes sporadically. It's a, basically an algorithm. Uh, mm-hmm. We thought initially that people could control it. Maybe if you were an IMDb Pro subscriber that you could manipulate what's up top there. Um, so I'm curious if you could. Uh, I have four people here that I want to pull out and I want to see if you can tell me what they're for. But they're four best known for uh, at the top of IMDb. I'm going to start with. Uh, so this is not, it rarely makes sense. So this is not me going. These are their four best. 
Correct. The, the poor mother. I don't want to get tied up in like, right. do you know what he fucking backdoor said about Scorsese by not saying something? <laughs> no, no, no. You will know these people um, and you will right. hopefully you kids, know. I got a little, you can tell after 20 years on the internet, I got a little PTSD about the things <laughs> I say and how they're <laughs> And Kev, one of the things that's important to note is that like, it's really random which movies will show up on it their list. Like, like, so for example, this is just a, uh, I'm making this up, but like Steven Spielberg, they're, they might act. They might put executive producer for Transformers as one of his four. Like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm just being like, like whatever yeah, random thing enough. they'll choose. So I can yeah, go so. full spectrum. Yeah, what if you four want you to, think? If yeah. you want to, I'm going to start right. with an easy one. I'm going to start with Kevin Smith. Kevin Smith. Well, Clerks. Um, oh my God, it's raining out. I'm sorry. I just saw that it was raining. No. <laughs> oh no, it's not. Somebody's posing upstairs. Uh, Clerks. Mall rats as fed by the algorithm. Tusk. Um, and cop out. I bet you those are the ones that kind of had had the most discussion online, which might feed an algorithm. Interesting. Uh, not my, but to be fair, let me think. Clerks, mall rats. Tusk and what was the last one I said? Cop, you said out. cop out. Yeah, you said cop out. The only thing I would switch personally is I would make it Clerks, um, Tusk, Red State, and Clerks Three because that's the most recent one. All right, well, I will I tell you. Red State was I, up there. I will tell uh, you in in both of those instances, you only got one correct. Clerks. Clerks. <laughs> you, it's, it's, fucking, it's like herpes. I'll have that forever. For the rest of my life. All right. No so, also shout out to that shit like luggage. Shout out to John Goodman's speech in Red State, by the way. Yes. One of the best monologues you've ever written, in my opinion. All right. Well, you tore apart, man. He, he sold that shit. Your four are uh, Clerks, Chasing Amy, Clerks 2, and Dogma. That makes me happy. I mean, look, it's all a win for me. So. It's all a win for you. <laughs> I saw somebody the other day, uh, like a couple of weeks ago on Twitter, they were coming at me for like, I don't know, I guess they didn't like Masters of the Universe. And they're like, he, they, I, I love it when people are like, he's not one of us. Maybe he never was. I'm like, one of us? Motherfucker, I built the track that you're on. Like, <laughs> I've been, I was one of us for you while you were come. So yeah. don't think <laughs> my fucking point of view. So uh, in that, somebody was uh, talking about, um, Oh, fuck. What was it? Um, uh, something. Oh, in regards to since they didn't like Masters of the Universe, yeah. uh, they were not going to see Clerks 3. And they were like, I'm going to watch Zack and Miri make a porno instead. And I was like, good. Like, <laughs> I, yes. I win. Like, I win that too. You like, not I realize. Yeah, you think I fucking care? Like, <laughs> if you're still watching my shit, I'm yeah. slobberingly grateful. Thank you for engaging. The proper response would have been like, I'm never watching one of his movies again. But the fact that my man was just like, well, to protest, we will watch Zach and Mary make a porno. <laughs> Take thy beak from out my heart. Oh, heavens. All right. Second one Jason Muse. Jason Mewes, um, Jane Silent Bob Strike Back, Jane Silent Bob Reboot, Clerks, Method in the Madness. Oh, Which he right. directed, right? Yes, that's why I think it should be there, because it has two hits that he could get out of. He's in it, and he, he directed it and wrote two. All right, you got two so far, so you're getting better. You're getting better. Yeah, which two did I get? 
You got Clerks and Strike Back. Yeah. He also has Clerks 2 and Dogma. A lot of Dogma love on IMDb. I wish I could get that fucking movie back, man. I've, I've talked about it before, but, you know, uh, the Harvey Weinstein, sorry, kids, uh, owns that movie personally. So right. uh, the devil himself owns my movie about angels. And we reached out to try to get it back. You know, I was very conflicted about, like, making an offer to buy it because I don't want to fucking give that guy money and shit like that. But everybody yeah. pointed out, you're not giving him money. You're giving money to an account that is going to be dispersed to a bunch of people. He's giving money to, and I'm like, all right, fair enough. So I can get my head around. Let's, let's do it. Let's open up. Let's reach out to the lawyer and say, Hey, we would like to buy this movie back. So they've reached out to us hmm. say, um, well, they didn't reach out to us. We were reached out to, by a distributor who was like, so I hear we're making dogma and you're doing a commentary track and a director's cut and shit. And I was like, really? Would you buy dogma? And like, no, we're, we're going to license it from Harvey. And I'm like, Oh no, if he's making a dime off it, I can't be involved in that sort of way. Right, right. Like, no way. Like I'm not, that puts me in business with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah. Like, no, 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 no. So if you, I, and apparently their camp, I'm not saying Harvey, but Harvey's lawyer represented it, I guess, that I was going to be deeply involved in any dogma re-release, which would be the case if it was free of that guy. Since yeah. it wasn't, I was like, no way. So I guess that went away on their behalf. So we reached out to be like, look, we'd like to fucking buy the movie, man. It's my movie. Like I, I wrote a letter where I'm like this. I know it's just an asset, but to you, but like this is my life and one of my most important films. And like, I, I, I can't even show it. Like, you know, never mind talk about making another one or anything like that. So, like, please, like, can I have sell it back to me? And we made an offer that I thought was fair for the marketplace, considering this is a movie that's over 20 years old and stuff. And um, we were told no. Then we upped the offer. We were told no again. Again, this all comes from his lawyer. I have no contact with the guy whatsoever. He's in jail, as we all know. But his lawyer, uh, I guess, talks to him and then relates the answer back. So thrice, he has refused to sell me my own movie. And each time, the money went up to pretty good fucking money. He has a magic figure in his head that he feels he's going to get, I guess. Again, I don't know his thought process. This is just what I could gather from the lawyer. He's got like some figure. I think he wants like five million. It's like never going to fucking happen. Who's going to pay five million for a movie that's dead? Like you have an idea, though. For what? Of where, of where you might want to go with the story. If I was to do a dogma sequel. You, yeah. I had an idea when we wrapped dogma, man. God, yes. But that's not the point. The point yeah. is, before we even get to that. Yeah. I would just like to fucking own this very yeah. beautiful movie about forgiveness and faith. Yeah fucking blah 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 that's tied up with with this animal and yeah. he will sell it back to me man it's kind of kind of shitty now i wish you could taylor part, swift it i wish you could taylor swift it and just shot for version. i had one distributor say to me let's just release it because they're like you know we can just release it and what happens in that case is these things sort themselves out in court. And I was like, I don't want to go to court with this guy. I don't want anything to do with yeah, the guy. Yeah, yeah. They're like you probably wouldn't have to. They were offering to take on the legal burden. They're like, we will release the movie and we're working under the assumption that you have the rights because wow. it's your movie. Yeah, and yeah. if they come at us, then, you know, we will deal with it at that point. But to me, I was like, no, like there's, there's one clean way for this movie again. It'll never happen, but that, you know, if that dude had any conscience, he'd just give the fucking movie back. Right. Um, you know, and if he 
in a world where we know he has no conscience, like we offered real fucking money. I mean, I'm like, this is gross, but like, I don't have this, but like I was able to collect a million dollars to offer for the fucking movie, man. Mm. Still being held hostage. So kind of disappointing. I, I hope I hope it gets free because I would love to fucking do the story that I wanted to do. Um, uh, you know, I, and at the very least, I would just like to take it out into the world. If I got Dogma back, I'd tour that fucker for like six months. Because yeah, some yeah. people haven't seen it in the dog's age, they'd come out and see it in the theater again. Hell yeah. For, forgive my like legal ignorance, but what happens when he dies? I guess it goes to his heirs, right? Like when people die, whatever they own, go to the yeah. people, like whoever they leave it to in their will. Uh, I doubt it's me. We didn't have that kind of relationship, <laughs> ever, let alone, you know, lately. Or, you right. know, I left that company, what was it? Right after Zach and Miri. So 2008 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But you know, they, that movie is just sitting there untouched. It's it's so irritating. But let's be honest, the least egregious of the man's crimes. Absolutely. Let's end on a positive. We have yeah, uh, one more one more person who we can guess their four credits that they, are, okay. that they are most known for. Harley Quinn Smith. This is going to be easy. Uh, Jane Son Bob reboot. Yoga hosers. Once upon a time in Hollywood. What's the wild card slot? <laughs> Spicy. Uh, I mean, right now I should say Clerks 2 because that seems to be the fucking go-to. <laughs> I'm going to throw Clerks 2 in there. All right. No, you have uh, Reboot. Once right. Upon a Time in Hollywood. Right. Cruel Summer. And Duh. I forgot. IMDb encapsulates TV as well. And I something should. called All These Small Moments, which I'm not familiar with. Yeah, it was a really good movie. She was in with Molly Ringwald, of all people, who I there believe I referenced earlier today. Bringing a full fucking circle. Full, full fucking circle. <laughs> the Brad Pack is in the air, kids. <laughs> well, Kevin, we cannot thank you enough for coming on the show, man. And, oh, my God. Uh, such, a, such a pleasure. And such a pleasure to have you guys over to watch it again. I apologize for you guys having to watch it on a laptop and shit. Um, it's, you know, Quentin would never. Quentin, I know, I know. I, I believe me, it hurt me knowing that. I was like, they're gonna leave here and they're gonna go to a fucking movie theater to record a podcast. I can't even make my fucking TV work. God damn it. No, but uh, honestly, when we left your house that day, you said, uh, whenever you wanted me on, just let us let me know. And uh, and and you made good on your word, Kevin. You always do, and we can't. Oh, thank absolutely. You let me tell you, you boys are ever shy for a fucking guest, or Quentin's just like, I've had it. You can always- <laughs> Dial me up. I don't mind being the booty call. I don't mind being the second thought. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, my first choice isn't here. What are you doing? Because I love talking movies anyway. Even not just mine. I just love talking movies. Thank you, man. We appreciate you. Kids, everybody. Pleasure. I love you doing the Lord's work out there. Continue. Thank you so much to Kevin Smith for joining us on the Roblin podcast. An absolute friend of the show who we love having on uh, every once in a while when he comes by to talk about his films. Uh, make sure that you check out uh, the clerk's tour. Kevin's going to be bringing the sequel around to a, a number of different cities. And if he's stopping by you, it's well worth the time to go out and see not just this movie, uh, which we all really enjoyed. And we can talk about it at length after it's open, um, but a Q&A that comes with it. And Kevin will get into a number of stories and, of course, take questions from his fans. And as he talked about uh, during our interview, like this model just works really well for the films that he's putting out. And the fact that he could take it around and put it in front of his most diehard fans uh, and and just turn it into an evening is really, really special. And so if he's coming to a city uh, near you or to where you guys live, make sure you check that out. Uh, as mentioned, we'll be back next week with a full on show. Gabe and I'll be able to talk about things we saw 
at the Toronto International Film Festival. If you haven't caught up on a few of our past episodes, uh, they are on uh, our YouTube channel as well. Uh, all the different places where you can subscribe and get your podcast audio needs met. And uh, thanks so much for checking us out. We hope you appreciated this week's show. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.